0: All right, one last time. I just want to take this opportunity to thank the leadership for this opportunity. I love preaching. I love the process of sermon writing, and this is just fun for me. Thank you. And I was able to hear a lot of your stories. A couple of people have asked my um, sermon notes. I put all my sermons up as podcasts on iTunes. If you have iTunes in your country, then you can get it on iTunes. But if you have any other podcast Server, you can get it through that because it's available on that. And I put up all the sermon notes on my website, so it's all there. Feel free to email me comments, questions, jokes, anything, prayer requests. I would love to pray for you now that I know your face. This last session is on prayer, and I know all of you pray. So most of this, what we say today, will be just a review. Probably you'll learn nothing at the end of today. But in a sermon, <laughs> 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 that's a <religion>. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's great! That's great. So you're paying attention, that's good. <laughs> so you learned one thing today, that's good. <laughs> One of the greatest weapons that every Christian has at their disposal is prayer. Martin Luther said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Wesley, in 53 years of ministry, wrote 200 books. He wrote dictionaries in four languages, 40,000 sermons. That's about 15 sermons a week. At the age of 83, he writes, I think I'm getting lazy these days. I can only wake up at 5.30 and read only 15 hours a day. He said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer, and he devoted two hours daily to prayer. This afternoon, in a sermon entitled, The Fog Has Gone, we will look at the issue of prayer. I want to talk about five things about prayer First, it's a discipline. Prayer is a discipline. It is a discipline that's a struggle for many people. It is a struggle for me. I'd rather read the Bible for eight straight hours than to have one hour of prayer. It is extremely hard for me to have an hour of prayer. My thoughts go all over the place, and it's extremely hard for me. We tend to have walk around prayers during the day and that's good and fine but at some point we have to sit down and spend time in prayer we engage in spiritual warfare during prayer so it is tiring it's not like you're watching TV just mindless it is tiring to pray and it takes effort but it is a discipline so when the disciples ask Jesus Lord teach us to pray it means that prayer is something that is taught and something that is learned just like anything else you learn you start with zero knowledge and then you build up the knowledge so if you want to learn to play the guitar you first know how to hold the pick then you know where to put your fingers and which uh, string and then how to hold the, the the strings then you learn the major chords first maybe a c d and e first once you've learned that you've practiced a little bit then you learn the minor chords and then the major sevenths, minor sevenths, whatever But since it is a learning, it is a discipline, it needs constant work. And if you're learning the guitar, you don't learn the guitar by practicing for 15 minutes once a month. That doesn't work. You've got to practice every day and build up on what you have learned before. And so just like in any other field, discipline, prayer requires patience, persistence and consistency. The second thing about prayer is persistence. There are two sides to this. In Luke chapter 18, there's a parable that says we have to be persistent in prayer. That's on one side. But then there's another verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Let me read it for us. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So on one side, we have to be persistent in prayer. On the other side, we should not be babbling. So then how do we balance this? Babbling is mindless repetition, which you see in certain cultures that are doing it as a penance, for example. An example of persistence in prayer is when Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, the almost exact prayer. Another example is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul said, Lord, take away this thorn. Three times he prayed. But then, how do you know when to stop, and how do you know when to keep on going, right? Paul said that he prayed three times, and he stopped, because God gave him an answer. But how do we know when to keep on going? We have to persist in prayer because God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry at all. He could have created the world in one day. He took six days because he's not in a hurry. He doesn't need to answer our prayer right away. He can take his own sweet time because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. We have to persist in prayer. The answer to prayer can be yes, no, wait, Or maybe, no, not maybe. Maybe is when we tell our kids, you know, we don't want to answer something right away, we'd say (laughs) maybe. But yes, no, wait, and modify. Yes, no, wait, and modify. James chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says, well, your request is very selfish, so go modify it and come back to me. Longer, single periods of prayer are more effective than multiple, shorter periods of prayer. And I will tell you why in just a second. Find different ways to pray the same thing. So if you're trying to be persistent and you're trying to pray the same prayer in multiple ways, as opposed to just repeating yourself, pray it in small group, pray it in church, pray it when you're walking around, pray it in your family prayer. So you're still being persistent without having mindless repetition thirdly passion the disciples had no passion for prayer in the garden of Gethsemane let's read a verse James chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective Verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. And the word for earnestly is the same word for prayer. So it is as if he prayed with prayer. So he laid two layers of prayer, one on top of each other so to speak. So he prayed with passion. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says this about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Loud supplication and tears. So we need to have a passion when we pray. Well, how can I give you an example of having passion when you pray? What if as you were driving back from home after a church service, you got into a car accident? Now, some of my illustrations, if you've noticed, are very graphic. And the reason for the graphic illustration is that those illustrations stick. Suppose you got into a car accident and your four-year-old son got hit. You rushed him to the hospital, and the doctors had to take him emergently into the operating room because there's a bleed in his brain. How passionate would you be standing outside the operating room? Would you just, Lord, I pray for that person to get saved? Kind of, you know. No. You would be crying, you would be passionate. Nobody has to give you a verse and say, oh, please be persistent in prayer. I mean, nobody has to tell you that. You're going to get this from God, right? That's the attitude. That's passion. That's passion. You don't necessarily have to make up passion. You don't necessarily have to have words for passion. Passion. When Hannah was praying for a child, she was praying without words. You don't need words for passion. You just need to have the spirit stirring your soul for passion. What prayer requests do we need to be passionate about? Do we need to have passion for? How about all those things that we know are God's will? How about the conversion of people? How about when we are praying for the conversion of somebody, do we just pray, Lord, please save them? Or do we have the passion that, Lord, you have to give this, just like we would pray outside the operating room? How about for spiritual growth of people? How about for the glory of God and the dishonor that happens around our countries of the honor of God? Why can't we pray with passion for all those things we know are God's will? The fourth thing is what I will call listening prayer. Listening prayer. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, said a man prayed and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. Listening. How many of us have heard this before? Listening prayer? Listening prayer? Perfect, perfect. Listening prayer is interactive prayer. And there are so many examples in scripture. So let's turn to some of those examples. Genesis chapter 18. You see Abraham kind of groveling in the mud there. God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham says, oh, what if there are 50 righteous people? And then God says, yes, and 50 righteous people, then I will not destroy. So you are the great and mighty God. I'm sorry I'm asking you this again. How about if there are five less? Then God says, so you see what's happening? There is interaction. There is interaction. Let's come to Genesis chapter 32. It's about the story of Jacob and how he sends his family across the brook and he's at Peniel where he met God and there the Bible says he wrestles with God. I mean that is an interaction. He wrestles with God and God finally touches his leg and makes him limp. There is an interactive prayer going on. How about Exodus chapter 32? This is where Moses is on the mountaintop having a phenomenal mountaintop experience and as he comes down he hears the sound of war they thought but then his assistant Joshua said no it's not the sound of war it's the sound of rejoicing. They come down there's a golden calf. He takes the two stones that God had written on breaks it down and then he has a conversation with God. This is a conversation. Exodus 32:30. 30, the next day Moses said to the people you have committed a great sin but now I will go up to the Lord perhaps I can make atonement for your sin so Moses went back to the Lord and said oh what a great sin these people have committed they have made themselves gods of gold but now please forgive their sin but if not blot me out from your book you have written the Lord replied to Moses whoever has sinned against me I will blot out of my book you see what happens there is a conversation Now, what if you're praying for something? How is God going to answer you? How is God going to answer you if you're asking God for something? Is he gonna answer you through the Bible? He can, right? I mean, if you're asking him a question about something that he can give the answer through the Bible, he will answer through the Bible. But what if it's something about your work that you're asking, something about your house that you're asking him? Asking from him, how is he going to say from your Bible in Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 3, fix the plumbing in your house? Is that what he's going to say? So how is God going to answer us when we pray? We need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. And that includes quiet listening, as in quiet, as in we are not talking kind of listening. The first time you do that, you're going to fall asleep. The first 10 times you do that, you're going to fall asleep. The next 20 times you do that, you're going to think of a million other things to do. Eventually, we will get to a point where we can hear God speaking to us. We can hear God speaking to us. Wait for answers and confirmations from God. David McIntyre wrote, pray until you pray. And that's why I said earlier that it's better to have a longer time of prayer than short multiple times of prayer. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, when I come to pray, the first 10 minutes I am not praying. I am thinking about everything else that needs to be done. So what I do is I keep my phone with me and I put it on airplane mode, turn on notes, and everything that I need to do for the first 10 minutes, I note it down. I'm able to let it go at that point. After that point, after the first 10 minutes, I'm free now to pray. So then you can pray. I still keep my phone with me because I'm also listening. As I'm listening to God during prayer, I can write down stuff that God tells me. Somebody asked me, oh, how many times a day do you listen from God? And my answer was hundreds of times. Because once you do it often and you're able to recognize when God is speaking to you, you can do it all along, anywhere, as you're walking along. There are so many times I've prayed for God about my work and I've gotten ideas I know are not from my own brain. I know. I mean, it's just fantastic ideas that came out of the blue, popped into my brain. Wow! Yes! I need to do that. I wouldn't have got it from the Bible because it's not there. Pray until you pray. The Fifth thing is prayer changes. What does prayer change? How many of you think that prayer changes us? Prayer changes us? Okay. How many of you think prayer changes circumstances? Okay, great. How many of you think prayer changes God? Let's read some verses. I wouldn't have read the verses if More of y'all lifted your hands. (laughs) But let's read some verses. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. It's a chapter that we just read. Verse 14, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God changed his mind. How about Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. The Lord saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 16. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity. And said to the angel who was afflicting the people, enough, withdraw your hand. And finally for today, Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 6. You who have forsaken me, declares the Lord, you keep going backward. So I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am tired of relenting. That means God relents multiple times. God has been relenting multiple times with the Israelites. So I guess God changes his mind. But let's read another verse Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Oops. So we have on one side, I, the Lord, do not change. And that makes sense to us. God doesn't change, right? He is the immutable God. But on the other side, God changes. How do we reconcile this? Can it be that one of them is not true? If one of them is not true, it is true that God doesn't change because he is God and he should not change. But how can we answer all these verses where it says God changes? So this is the way we reconcile this. God does not change in his eternal plan, but he can change in the immediate present. God doesn't change in his eternal plan, but he can change in his immediate present. And let me give you an example. Now, just an aside. So I'm going to give you this example, but I don't need the example to support the truth. Okay, the example clarifies the truth, but it doesn't need to support the truth. When we have arguments with people, there are arguments where people need the example to support the truth. So, for example, uh, well, all roads lead to the same God. Okay, why do you say that? Well, just like on the top of a mountain, all the roads lead to the same God. You see the problem there? the problem there is that the truth needs the illustration to support it without the illustration that truth does not stand by itself that's a problem with that kind of an argument where the truth doesn't have value for itself to stand on its own legs so I don't need to give an illustration to support this truth but in the illustration the truth will be clarified. Let me give an illustration. Let's say I went to Barcelona last night to watch the game between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid and Barcelona won. Messi scored goals, it was great. I came back, I woke up in the morning, I had my kids with me, my family with me. I woke up in the morning and I drove from Barcelona to Malaga. It takes 10 hours. My final plan is to reach Malaga in about 10, 11 hours in that drive I am planning to stop multiple times. Suppose I'm driving and on the way my kid says, I want an ice cream. Have I changed my eternal plan? No, but I'm willing to change the plan in the immediate present. So I stop for an ice cream. But He can't say, Daddy, I want a camel. Well, I'm not going to get him a camel because that's not part of my will. So just because God changes in the immediate present doesn't mean that you can ask him something outside his will. You still have to ask within his will. Suppose I want a chocolate milkshake and my son asks me, Daddy, can I have a chocolate milkshake? What do you think I'm gonna do? Of course I'm gonna stop, because he's asking me exactly what I want. When we ask God what he wants, when we ask him exactly what his will is, he will give it to us. In the immediate present, God is willing to change. He will not change his final plan. I'm still gonna get here to Malaga. I'm not going to go to Turkey accidentally, you know, go to Turkey. I'm going to come here. That is the eternal plan. That is the big plan. But in the immediate present, I'm willing to change multiple times. Many people simply accept the will of God for what it is and say, okay, whatever is God's will, that's going to happen to me. That's not biblical. That is more Greek determinism that, okay, what's going to happen is going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. That's not biblical. Bible prayers believed that they could move the mind of God and make things happen. So then, knowing that you can change the mind of God in the immediate present, what can you pray about? What can you pray about? Everything. Just pray about everything. As long as you're not asking God for a camel, pray about everything. I look at my calendar for the week. I go through day by day and I say, Lord, I pray for this, this, this. this." Just pray for everything. God can make things happen where there are closed doors. Jesus had a robust prayer life and he would spend nights on the Mount of Olives praying. Sometimes when we are praying, we think, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray, and now I need some me time. And in my me time, I'm going to watch TV or books or read Tintin comics or whatever you're going to read. When it came to Jesus, his me time was spending time with the Father. That was his me time. Let me ask us a question. Will we ever come to a point when our me time is spending time with God, when that is our happy place. That is a place that we are most at ease. George Muller was crossing the Atlantic on the SS Sardian in August 1877, and his ship ran into thick fog. He explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec by the following afternoon. But Captain Joseph E. Dutton, later known as Holy Joe, said that he was slowing the ship down for safety and that Muller's appointment would have to be missed because there was a thick fog. So Muller asked to use the chart room to pray for the lifting of the fog. So the captain followed him down and Muller started to pray. He prayed a very simple prayer, and he stopped. Then the captain started to pray, but George Muller stopped him, partly because he knew that the captain didn't believe it, and mainly because he felt that God answered his prayer already. He said to the captain, "'Captain, I have known my Lord for more than 50 years, "'and there is not one instance "'that I have failed to get an audience with the king.'" Get up, Captain, for you will find that the fog has gone. They come up to the bridge and they find that the fog has gone. He reaches his appointment on time and the captain becomes a Christian. I'm going to give some time for us to respond to the sermon with some questions. These are some questions that we can think about. How can I be more disciplined in my prayer life? Am I being persistent in prayer? Am I passionate in prayer for the things of God? How can I practice listening prayer? How would my prayer life change if prayer changes God?